Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Hello everyone. Hello everyone. Hey, I am so excited to bring this particular conversation to you because I speak with Rabbi Danya Ruddenberg. And uh, let me just read a little bio for you. <laughs> so Rabbi Danya is an award-winning author and writer who serves as scholar in residence at the National Council of Jewish Women. She was named by Newsweek as a rabbi to watch and a faith leader to watch by the Center for American Progress. And she has been a Washington Post Sunday crossover clue, 83 down. <laughs> She's the author of seven books, and she has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Time, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I am excited because uh, I have followed Rabbi Danya for some time, full disclosure, I am obsessed with her Substack, which I will leave in the show notes. And I just all around enjoy the presence that I've gotten to know via social media. And, you know, so we're going to discuss some things. We're going to talk about her book uh, on repentance and repair, making amends in an unapologetic world. So with all that said, sit back and relax and enjoy my conversation with Rabbi Danya. So welcome everyone back to the podcast and I am joined by an esteemed guest, Rabbi Danya Rosenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Yes, I listen. This has been a long time coming because I wanted to ask you for a while. And yeah, I'm excited. Uh, uh, the question that I'd like to start out with for everyone is who you are, what's important to you, and the way that you show up in the world. Oh, I love that as a question. Because so often with these things, they start with like a bio that's like a list of things you did, right? Like ways yeah. you were productive to who, whoever, as opposed mm -hmm. to what matters to you. Um, mm -hmm. So who I am, I am a spouse. I am a mom. I've got three elementary slash middle age, middle school kids in the other room who may or may not burst in. Um, I am a writer, right? I, you know, uh, whoever does or doesn't read anything I write, it's, it's, I am a person who writes, um, I am, I don't know, someone who takes spiritual practice seriously, um, I am somebody who believes that the whole point of us being down here is to take care of each other like my theology is like we serve god by taking care of each other and fighting for a more just world like you know mm. go and like this is torah go go and learn and um that really informs kind of everything else yeah i guess Mm. Mm. I love that. Um, I want to ask one more question, just a fun question. Yeah, um, what? what what song are you listening to that that's keep that's keeping you going or helping you relax or a song that uh, would describe how you are feeling right now? Oh man. Um I, I haven't been, I sort of at a certain point 
kind of wandered away from listening to music as much as I used to. Um, mm. I tend to listen to a lot of Florence and the Machine because you know her, she's amazing. Exactly. That is like a poet. Mm. And so, uh, you know, she does all sorts of things to me when I need to feel things. Mm. Um uh let's see um you know Beyonce's Break My Soul is basically every single song I used to hear at the queer bars in the 90s except in one song mm -hmm. so <laughs> when I, I need this. like that infusion it is it's a very ready like I don't know how she did that but she basically took uh, like you know my college years and a couple of first years out of it and just like condensed it into one song so mm -hmm. um I appreciate that um what else I don't know I, I there's not a single song I listen to a lot of Janelle Monet. um I'm like okay. sort of hitting a yeah yeah's phase okay randomly <laughs> I I, yeah this. I don't know I love this eclectic taste I love uh, it <laughs> mm. yeah Okay. It's, we listen to classical at home because it's either that or my children's horrible taste in like cheesy rock. So <laughs> oh, they might make it different. <laughs> Dear God. No, I love that. I love that. Mm. So on the table, we're talking about your book uh, on repentance and repair making amends in an unapologetic world. And I have to say this, I um, this is one of the few books um, over the past year that I started on Audible mm -hmm. and I loved it so much and I couldn't contain my excitement. So then I ordered the, uh, the hardback. <laughs> I was like, this is too oh slow God. for me. <laughs> like, I need, like, I'm appreciating this uh, audio uh, experience, but I need to write some things down. Um, and it was this book, uh, Red Lip Theology by Candace mm. Bembo mm. and Cole Arthur Riley's book, uh, This Here Flesh. Oh, yeah. Um, so you joined that in uh, in my reading and uh, reflecting. I was like, no, nah, I got to get the hardback. I don't even know why I played around with the audio. <laughs> I can't, like, yes. So I love uh, your book and I love the collection of books uh, and even the thread that I see between the the, the three of the books. But mm. well, I'm honored. That's a really killer club to be part of. So <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> I love it. And I guess the first question that I would love to hear your answer on uh, is what was the underpinnings of why you wanted to write this book? Why now? Um, you know, because those are two different questions. I mean, you might have your own answer to, of course, I wanted to write on this, but why and why now? Right, right. So I've always been drawn to the laws of repentance, which is, um, so Maimonides is a medieval philosopher, 12th century theologian, physician, you know, very, very busy individual living in 12th century Spain, um, doctor to the Sultan among, while well, writing philosophical works that changed the world, you know, and other stuff. Um, and among his works, the sort of compilation of taking ancient thinking and sort of reworking it into new, you know a new order, he sort of crafted the laws of repentance. And I'll talk later about how Jews think about repentance, which that word doesn't mean have the same connotations for us. Like it's it's a translation of a, of a Hebrew word, mm. and we can get into that. But. Um, I've always been drawn to it because I've always thought it was very wise and I like to teach it. And it's, you know, sometimes when, you know, there, there are things that you kind of come back to again and again. And after Me Too broke, uh, a friend of mine was working on a story about like, okay, all of these dudes, famous dudes have acknowledged that they are sexual abusers 
and mostly did a really garbage job of taking responsibility. Like, yeah, I did it, but you know, what about my family? Yeah, I did it, but my mom, my fans are so upset. And it's like, you know, like name the fact that you actually harmed people. Mm -hmm. You know, oh yeah, I did it. And now it's gonna be so hard because I'm losing my job. Um, cry. Like, and but the question of like now what? Our culture does doesn't have the tools to figure that out. Do we just sit them in the corner indefinitely? Mm. Do we let them wait six months and then we give them the six million dollar Netflix deal? Like, how do we if we let them come back, what are we looking for? And so I wrote up a couple paragraphs for her. For their thing and um on, on based on the laws of repentance i would want to see this i would expect to see that it would make sense if if they were really meant that they were changing and not just sorry but really becoming different people then probably this would happen and um and then i, I eventually kind of threw those paragraphs on twitter and people's responses were very intense. Mm -hmm. Like, what? You want the harm doer to take responsibility and to change? And we're going to care about the victim's needs. And you don't just want to push the victim to forgive and do all this emotional labor Mm -hmm. without any accountability for the harm doer because Mm -hmm. we live in this forgiveness-centric culture where people are just used to forgiveness is the greatest value. And so it's always the victim's job, whether or not they've been cared for, whether or not their needs have been met, um, that they have to forgive. Mm-hmm. So I started engaging with people on Twitter about this and they they would ask a question and I'd respond and I'm like, oh, well, what about this? Hmm. And sort of thinking about this in new ways based on engaging with people. So it turned into an op-ed and it turned into, you know, it's sort of evolved and I started to realize that the laws of repentance weren't just about our interpersonal relationships, which is how Jews usually use it. Um, you know, the fight you have with your somebody in your family, the scuffle that happened at work, right? And to clean up. But that it's also about these larger cultural harms, because you know, when Matt Lauer is a sexual abuser mm-hmm. who is harmed is not only the women that he harmed but also our whole culture is implicated right everybody who has been watching him on tv is going to be learning something about rape culture based mm-hmm. on his choices yeah right? we yeah. are like we are influenced like if he does a really good job of taking accountability then we're impacted and learning and thinking and if he does a bad job then that also changes how we think about gender and sex and violence right yes right right so it's like well what does that look like in terms of repentance and and what are his obligations and then will institutions cause harm can institutions repent and nations also kind of do repentance work and try to do repentance work and what would that Mm. look like and i started to see that it was um scalable yes and i started to play with it and i kept waiting for the model to break and it kept not breaking (laughs) so i you know why now is just i figured out that this incredible tool that we've always had in my tradition a was desperately needed by the wider culture Mm. and b could be useful in ways that I'd never considered. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I so love that. I I was gonna start. I was gonna go a different uh, <laughs> uh, way, but you just hit so many rich things. <laughs> I'm like, let's just get into it right into. I would. I want to say that um, reading your reflections, both on Twitter and in the book, uh, were healing for me. And I will try not to cry, <laughs> but I cry every day for some oh. reason. <laughs> Um, this is, is who this I is am. crying positive space. Yes. <laughs> it's who I am as a person. I love um, that. I it was healing um because although I grew up as an atheist, many people know that I became a Christian later in life. And what I realized uh was damaging uh was how Christianity has taught repentance. 
and models of repentance and forgiveness uh, that dehumanized me, that decentered me as the person who received harm and weaponized uh, forgiveness against, you know, victims. And, um, and you know, so I, I've said this for years that I don't want to talk about forgiveness in a way that centralizes the perpetrators of harm. But I also didn't, I knew instinctively that what I had been taught about repentance, that it was primarily about um, getting out of the wrath, the way of God's wrath um, and doing the right amount of things uh, in order to go to heaven. Uh, I knew that that wasn't right. And I knew forgiveness isn't something that I should have to give, but I didn't hear anyone else teaching in the wider culture about it. Um, so I just want to say that first of all, um, and feel free, any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, our, there are so many voids in our culture, right? I, you know, I think it, it, it's funny because, you know, if you look at the place in the Gospels that people often cite for, you know, you have to forgive, right? Yes, 70, right. Jesus forgave 70 times seven. If you kind of go up a few verses, it's like, here's Jesus modeling a community accountability process, right? True. Like there mm -hmm. are all sorts of other things that are even possible within Christianity. And if you kind of go up the, the line before people got into this, forgive, 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 but sort of theologically um, what was being taught, uh, you know, a minute or two before that happened, there are much more nuanced things. And pushing forgiveness on harmed parties is a great way to maintain the status quo, mm. right? Yeah. If you, if you're the, the harm doer and, you know, harm obviously doesn't only happen across lines of difference, but mm -hmm. power, but it often does. Mm -hmm. And so if I have more power and I hurt you or oppress you, right. Or am exploiting you and, I teach you that all you need to do, that your job is to shut up and forgive me. Mm -hmm. And I can keep doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's convenient. True. And, you know, I don't, I don't know at what point that's conscious or unconscious. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, you know, it's not just Christian, right? It's, it's American individualism. Mm -hmm. It's capitalism, right? There, there are so many threads sort of in this it's oh and it's the post-civil war right. thing i think is really when this became a thing in in um in america mm. this is used as a way to maintain white supremacy yes um you speak it <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> listen and i i was thinking you know it's funny so we're we're talking about this forgiveness so i've been just go here for a second because yeah, you, your point there. you you are we're on that trail Sure. Um, you said something in the forgiveness chapter, so I was getting ahead. Um, that really stuck with me. Um, on page one seventy, um, because you talk about forgiveness, the the root of it, and you said, um, speaking of forgiveness, you says, uh, you say it's regarded as a universal good, as something we should grin, uh, we should give. Uh, freely, regardless of whether the perpetrator of harm has done the work of repentance, regardless of whether they have fully owned their harm, regardless of whether they have done the work of repair, right? And so you talk about that and you also like um, unfold, especially for Black people, having to forgive uh, gross amounts of racism um, and death and harm. And that that part was also healing because I remember um, at towards the beginning of the pandemic when Botham John uh, was uh, killed in his apartment, uh, just as he was just <laughs> minding his business by uh, a police officer who was mistakenly in the wrong apartment. And I remember the rush at the time for many spiritual leaders to... Uh, all attention to Botham John's brother 
who forgave the perpetrator and gave her a hug. And some of the headlines were the hug heard around the world. And I remember how outraged uh, Black people were at feeling this need to forgive and how especially white spiritual leaders uh, would gaslight us by saying, if you can't recognize the spirituality in this hug, then maybe your spirituality is deficient. And I remember just how hurtful that forgiveness, that for the notion of forgiveness is something that we should have to give those who kill us. Um, and so I love how you unpacked what forgiveness can look like um, and can be scalable. So thoughts on forgiveness and apologies. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in my tradition, the whole question of whether or not you should, could, would forgive somebody if they're sincerely doing the work and we'll talk about the whole process and coming to you after having done all the things and they're transforming to not be a harm doer and they've already made amends and, and, and will you forgive them or not? We can, that's a whole question we can unpack, but if they're, they haven't done any or all of the, if they've been done all of the steps, forget it, right? You don't owe them anything. You may, you are always allowed to forgive. And it's very, very likely that um, Botham John's brother needed to give that hug as part of his own healing process. Great. Power to him for doing what he needs to do for himself. But the implication that anybody else is you know required to have the exact same healing process is ridiculous right mm. victims need to take care of themselves and wow. sometimes healing never involves forgiveness and that's okay you can heal without forgiving i want to pause you right there that is are you aware of how revolutionary that is? Uh, <laughs> that statement is because I know you're sitting in it. People don't say this, um, and especially for marginalized groups, we don't hear that. And so I want to pause there, like that forgiveness isn't a requirement. Um, ooh, that's weighty. <laughs> So let, let me let me take it a step further. So the Jerusalem Talmud, which is a authoritative ancient text for us, um, mm -hmm. teaches that if somebody slanders you, you never have to forgive them. And the thing that people learn out, like why slander? Because once you start to talk garbage about somebody you know you can never fully take it back right it True. is harm that can never fully be undone so what i learn out from that is that if somebody harms you in a way that can never fully be healed so let's use the word trauma right if you are harmed in a way that is deep and real and significant you never you're never obligated to forgive What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. What's in my cup? What is in my cup? Today, portrait coffee. I believe it's Stacy. I believe that's the one that I'm sipping on today. That is what's in my cup. That removing that, you know, the thing hanging over you is you have to get to that forgiveness piece. Right. Right. Um, sometimes it just short circuits everything personally. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and sometimes, you know, for some people giving yourself permission to never, ever, ever forgive is, you know, like actually, eventually you do find a way to forgive as yes. somebody, you know, there's somebody I spoke to who is, um, who was trafficked as a young girl, mm -hmm. sex trafficked. Um, horrible, horrible, horrific, disabling, mm -hmm. you know, lifetime traumatizing things were done to her. Um, and, uh, you know, for 20 years, she was like, I am never forgiving pe these people for completely understandable reasons. And at some point, she got to a place where forgiveness just showed up. 
Mm. Great. Cool. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, and, and and there are other people who get to healing and, and forgiveness isn't part of the story. And that's okay, too. <laughs> you know? I love that. I So thinking of, you know, so we're talking about this forgiveness piece. I, I want to, you know, go to that repentance piece uh, and especially how it shows up in personal relationships. That chapter, I wish you could see all the highlighted <laughs> I'm talking back to you like I'm in black church. I'm like, woo, good job. Thanks. Preach it. <laughs> like, like my notes in the margins are wild. <laughs> um, uh, we had an interaction that you did not know of. Um, <laughs> Y'all can't see me, but I'm dancing in my chair right now. <laughs> exactly. It was beautiful. Yeah. And um, I love how um, when thinking about repentance, uh, you unpack that, how it can strengthen and nurture and heal within personal relationships. I love uh, on page 49, you have something here that, uh, so you write, addressing harm is possible only when we bravely face the gap between the story we tell about ourselves, the one in which we are the hero, <laughs> fighting the good fight, doing our best, behaving responsibly and appropriately in every context and the reality of our actions. And one, I think uh, over, overarching throughout the whole book is this, this notion of addressing harm and this ability to take a step back and in our repentance work that addressing harm is a, a critical piece and so talk about that, like what that means to you and even in your tradition. And uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it is hard, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> let's, it, it, you know, and I will say this as somebody who's like taken this on as a spiritual practice, kind of, mm -hmm. it is, I, I screw up plenty <laughs> and it's not always necessarily like, oh, I snapped at my partner. There's plenty of that. Um, you know, I is bigger, realer screw ups, and um, that's that thing where you have like the humbling thing where you have to look at yourself and say, but but you know, I do it too, like, but I'm, I'm I, but I, oh, shoot. Oh God, you know, it's or like that minute where you see yourself through somebody else's eyes and it's not pretty is very uncomfortable. And um, the, I mean, we all understand what, like the urge to get defensive is right there. Like all the justifications, all the reasons why it was totally okay and totally, you know, but they really were just being so rude. And so they deserved, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. But um, being a responsible, moral adult in the world is being a mensch, as we say in Juland, you know, a, a decent person mm -hmm. involves having to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and say like, that wasn't it, kiddo, you know, and uh, take a deep breath and start to clean up your mess. Um, and it's hard as an individual. It is hard on an organizational level. I've, you know, been part of more than one organization. Uh, yeah, I've been on senior staff of more than one organization that has grappled with things that, um like, okay, this is tricky, you know, or I've, I've been on, on committees of, you know, or consulting with organizations like this is really hard. Mm -hmm. And oh, no, but if we do this, then I yikes, we don't want to, mm, you know, but what about the publicity? But oh, how can we? Um, and so there are all sorts of different ways that denial functions, but there's that moment where you have to say the job is to face it and clean it up and to clean it up correctly. 
Yeah. And I love the examples that you give in this chapter because they've made it uh, weighty, uh, meaty. Like one of the examples, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but, um, you know, you use this example of, you know, this person who, um, who had been in multiple relationships and with each of their partners, they had uh, displayed this um, abusive, uh, abusive personality, abusive traits, toxic traits. And although now they're in this, you know, seemingly healthier relationship, wanting to move in together, the question was raised, do I have to tell my, my, you know, current partner about all of these, um, you know, this trail of, 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 of incidents and people behind me. And I loved that you kind of wove that in with uh, the journey from being somebody who does harm to never doing those actions again. And you're kind of like uh, teasing it out through um, that example and others, but talk about that, like whether it's with that particular um, example or just that journey from being someone who has an identity of causing harm, but like changing to never doing those actions again. Right. Because that's really the crux of it. So let's let me do like on one foot, the stages of, of repentance. Maybe that'll yes. help sort of. Mm. Uh, and by the way, on one foot, um, uh, the Hebrew word for what I'm calling repentance is tshuva, which means returning. It's about coming back to where you were supposed to be before you kind of fell off the path. Right. Mm. It's, uh, you know, coming back to yourself, coming back to your integrity, coming back to your your best self. Right. Mm, Coming that. back to God. You know, yes. Right. Um, it's I mean, it's really in, in classical rabbinic things. It's about returning to God. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's about all of these things. Um, mm -hmm. So step one, confession, own the harm you caused. No hedging. No, but, but what I meant. No, but I'm a really nice guy. Like none of it. <laughs> no, but what about my family? <laughs> my job and my fans um my fans <laughs> um you know i'm gonna include a recipe in my confession about sexually harassing women um mm -hmm. somebody did that cinnamon buns um lord <laughs> i know um and ideally it's public ideally it's more public than the harm caused because it's a request for accountability Right. Mm. Hey guys, I'm struggling. I'm going to need, like, we all, we can't do it alone. I'm going to need support as I'm walking this path. It's an end to the gaslighting for the victim. Mm. It's the, the victim now gets to say to everybody else, look, see, I wasn't lying. This really happened. Right. Mm. Um, it's a way of, of, you know, this is no takesy backsies. Right. Mm. So you own the harm. Then to start to change, which we'll talk about in a second, because if you keep causing the harm over and over again, like you, you do, you clean up this one mess and then you go cause the exact same mess the next day. It's what, um, then amends to the person that you harmed, which has to be, um, you don't make amends at somebody because then you're just turning them in, into an object. You have to ask them what they need, which might not be what you think. Keep learning. And then the apology, and then you, next time you have the chance to do the thing, and there's always another chance, you make a different choice. So this, those are the steps. So, mm -hmm. and and yes, the making, becoming different is, is so much of the heart of the work, and it's maybe the lifelong part, wow. right? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends, I mean, it depends, right? It is the harm that I keep being flaky and late and I just need to find the right scheduling hack. Mm. You know, it's a technical fix. Fine. But if it's, I was serially abusing my exes because I had a traumatic childhood and I can't blame my past trauma on my current actions anymore. Yikes. That's, mm. that's going to be lifelong work. Right. Mm -hmm. mm. So, you know, even when you do so many pieces of the work, whether it's therapy or whether it's rehab or calling your sponsor or starting to do deep education on some issue where you had some real ignorance, right? 
so for it, in many cases of causing harm, it's like, now it's time to learn about trans liberation. Now it's time to double down on your anti-racism homework. Like, you know, there's a lot of that, Yeah. but, um, you know, it's, it's layered. And so for somebody who spent all of this time reckoning with the harm he caused, he then got to this precipice of now I'm going to move in with my boyfriend mm. and I don't want to disclose. Right. He still wanted to keep secrets. Mm. He still that that confession step, right? The owning the harm. He wanted to kind of pull back on that a little bit. Or bypass yeah. it, you know. Right, right. He wanted the easy way out. Um and that's you know, um we can do a little tiny spoiler here. This is a um, this was a letter to Dear Prudence, the Slate mm. advice column, and Danny Lavery kind of brilliantly named that this was immediately going to be starting the same abusive pattern. With Ooh, I wasn't ready for that. I was right? Like, I was like, whoa! I wouldn't so have said insightful. That. Yeah. So good. Um, so, you know, the minute you start trying to withhold the information, you're going to start acting different because you know that there's something you're holding back and then the dynamic's going to change. And next thing you know, you're going to be replicating those dynamics again. Um, and so the only way forward is to treat your partner like the full subject who gets to have all of the information to which he's entitled right mm -hmm. and just not treat him like an object that where you get to decide for him mm. um it's so hard and there's risk right yes, this guy yes, might yes, lose yes. his relationship True. there's risk sometimes if you own the harm you caused you might lose that job right mm -hmm. sometimes if you go show up at a church or a synagogue and you say um, so I am, you know, kind of doing recovery work for this really, really, really dangerous thing. Is it okay if I come pray in your community? You know, I abused somebody in a really terrible way. Is it okay if I'm part of your community? Somebody might say no. No, right. right. You're opening yourself to rejection. And if you do it transparently, then people are going to say, we get that you're telling us because you don't want to do it again. Mm. You don't want to have the opportunity to cause that harm. So here we're going to help you find a system where you can come be with us, pray with us, have the potluck with us and keep everybody safe. Mm. Yeah, this is so rich because I think often when we think about you know, personal relationships and harm that can be done just in the context of that. Um, all of this is usually summed up under apologies, right? And apologies should overarchingly uh, take care of all of this. Like I said, I'm sorry. Like, what else do you want me to do? I said, you know, yes, I've been rude to you all month. Yes, I hurt you. Yes, I made you cry. I, I said, I'm sorry. Like, and now you have to deal with it, right? Because I'm done. I'm clean. And this is going underneath all of that and saying, one, there was harm that was done. And you have to actually sit with that. You can't run. You can't scurry. You can't dodge it. You can't juke it. You have to actually reflect. And this takes time. I think something that I'm hearing you in you and even the laws of repentance, none of this is a quick 30-second um, work. You know, an apology is... Yes, it requires you to let your ego down a little bit. But once I say it, you should, it's it's quick, it's clean. You say, I forgive you. And then boom, this requires that, that slow work, that addressing the harm. And part of it is, I love that you said um, that being someone who causes harm is not a fixed state that you can't, like you, you said that in this chapter in, that this isn't your identity. And part of the work is you want to be someone who is not like that. And that requires vulnerability that requires all these things. And, but that is hard. I'm going to be honest. Like I, I can say, I'm sorry, pretty easily, 
um, I've gotten to that part of my uh, <laughs> growing. This work is a deeper work that I don't know that I was ready to read. <laughs> I was like, okay, why are you in my business? <laughs> Hello. Because <laughs> yeah. this is another being... step in even just my social location as being a man and a black man in society. It took me so much to get to the, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. We're done. (laughs) 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 But you're talking about something a lot deeper and more meaningful. um, And that's hard. It's really hard. Um, You know, uh, can attest, (laughs) can witness to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And... And this is the transformational stuff. Um, It is not an easy standard to meet. But that's the thing is that, listen, we all cause harm. We all are harmed. We are all bystanders to harm. We all do good things. We all do not so great things, right? It's none of this is like an indictment of our deepest soul, right? You can screw up. You lash out because of something pushed your unresolved childhood garbage button or whatever, right? And so you have to, that doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It means you're a person. And mm-hmm. now you have to do the other part of being a person. And if we are too generous with the participation trophies, then... um we wind up with the harm doers getting to just run out and keep doing the thing. And if we say we want a society where people actually are going to transform and uh, A, do the work to sew up that hole in the cosmos that they caused. So instead of just kicking somebody in the face and then saying, I'm sorry, I said, I'm sorry. And walking away, they're Mm -hmm. actually figuring out why they did that, making sure that's never going to happen again, taking care of the person who was harmed in ways that really matter. And, um, and then kind of being an agent of healing generally Mm. in the world, right? Because all Mm. of that learning is then it's put to use. Mm. So I love that. I, two two last questions one you brought up the human part uh <laughs> and i want to, i want to hear you address it uh often when people apologize whether it's individually or on the corporate level <laughs> you know in, in right. communities the phrase i'm just human comes up and i'm thinking of even uh there's a famous incident that happened recently with the university uh at purdue northwest <laughs> where there was extreme harm done by a chancellor uh mocking asian people and uh the calls for his reg- resignation were so loud um and he issued an apology um shortly after saying and part of the apology was i'm human um and and so i'm just curious about just your thoughts on when people utilize uh, that that phrase, I'm human, because you you said it a second ago. No, it's not a defense, yeah. right? <laughs> Which is different is... than how you're saying. Um, yeah. Right. So what, what I am saying is, so I'm, I'm using it as sort of an inoculation against this other thing that people do a lot, which is conflate the action with the sort of, statement on your deep inner soul right somebody says you said something racist and they say i am not a racist and then somebody else says they do not have a racist bone in their body and it's like nobody is doing an mri you guys no there are no x-rays you might have some racist cartilage though i don't know you know it's it's like it is is actually possible that you may be a racist um (laughs) i do not know uh, your defensive reaction is not actually very encouraging, but um, um, but the thing is that, like, my friend, my, my theoretical friend to whom I'm speaking, like, we all live in a white supremacist society, and we are all drinking the white supremacist orange juice, and, mm. you know, we are all 
speaking um on the you know less melanated side of the <laughs> of the fence like you know the there's so much learning to do and and so you know you can either say oh thank you for that education and now i'm going to go do some learning right i just i said something that was racist now i have to figure out why i said that and what happened and what i didn't know and bah, 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 bah. but it's not an indictment of who you are as a human being because yeah. that's you are a human being and some of the things you do are good it could be even that some of the things you do are anti-racist and some of the things you say and do are racist wow, right yeah i love that you know it's because because we are human so the the sense that um acknowledging harm has to be uh, you know whatever uh, you know and s some people ha have that childhood thing where if you know uh, your deep uh, toxic mantra is that you're bad. Mm -hmm. And so anybody telling you that you did something unuseful means that you're a horrible, bad person and you yeah. want to save that off. You have to be conscious of that because you're walking around hurting people and you don't want to do that. You don't want to be a bad person. So you have to check yourself. And so that's where you say you're a human being, but not when you're like when you own your harm, you own it fully without qualifications, right? I said something racist. Mm. I understand how the thing that I said perpetuates white supremacy in the following ways. Oof. I didn't understand that until now. And I am so grateful to so-and-so for saying that and giving me the gift of this education. Now I'm going to go do some learning. Ba, 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 you know, whatever. Right. Then you go do the, le the learning. Right. And by the way, you know, are you making amends to somebody specific? Are you yeah. making um, are you giving money to an organization? Are you like, what's the, what's the amends? What's the apology? I don't know. That's a later question. But yeah, I'm just human is not the defense for your <laughs> you're running yeah. around kicking people in the face. Yeah. I love that. Um <laughs> The last question I have for you, uh, you you've touched on it a couple of times is um, I'm wondering how do these laws of repentance, your work in repentance, how does that fit into your um, vision of God? You know, your thoughts on how this this works with our purpose here on Earth, right? Like I could guess, but I, I'm just curious for you, like, how does this all work together um, for you? Mm, yay, that's a fun question. Um, I, you know, I spend so much time trying to be accessible to kind of everybody that I often avoid the God talk. So I'm yeah. like, thank you for asking me a God question. <laughs> um, that's fun. Um, um, sorry, I'm at the edge end of <laughs> two weeks with my children my voice listen is gone. i get it <laughs> um so there are a few ways number one and this is and by the way there's a whole other category of repentance which is the repentance for um harm i have caused uh of, of sins we would say between me and god right mm -hmm. if i'm violating shabbat in private like it's my spiritual contract with the divine nobody's there mm. i you know i have to clean that up in a different way mm. but if we're talking about uh, interpersonal harm number one uh, i truly believe our job down here is to take care of each other and to create a more whole world and so when i clean up my harm I and do the work to become a better person, right? And to grow, to learn, right? Then I am becoming and I, to heal the harm that I caused, right? First, I'm sewing up this hole in the cosmos that I created. I am uh, becoming more of an agent of healing. I am contributing more to the project of making this place down here better. Um, and 
all the more so if it's if we're talking about institutional or god willing national healing Mm -hmm. may it be so speedily in in our days um and number two like there's like straight up part of the the plan in judaism you clean up your mess with the other person and then on yom kippur you go to god and you say sorry like forgive me yeah um and it is a day that is like a ritual bath it is a Mm. day that washes you clean and atonement is you know the best English translation we have for the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a, it's like a spiritual reset button. And it is an opportunity for the individual to connect to the divine in just this really, really, really deep, profound way. And to have this, this gift of, mm. of atonement, of, of forgiveness. Um and that's only available to you if you're willing to take responsibility for the harm you've caused down here. If you're leaving, if you're showing up to synagogue on Yom Kippur with a trail of, of pain and suffering in your wake, it's not going to do much. Hey everyone, it's Faith Brooks here. I'm so excited to let you know that my new book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women is now available wherever books are sold. So go ahead and get yourself a copy, share it with a friend. And I am just so excited for you to get this book into your hands. And I can't wait for all of us to be able to talk about it soon. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.